Hi, this is Claire Diaz-Ortiz, and you're listening to Frequency. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Frequency.fm podcast. I'm Dan Thompson, joined by my friend, Joe Brookhouse. How are you, Joe? Good. I'm even better to know that you consider me a friend, Dan. I do. I do. I don't even know if I've ever said that you're my friend, Joe. I just said Joe Brookhouse in Portland. No, but you just said friend, so I got it recorded, and everybody (laughs) listening knows that we're friends. And so I'm going to get a button with your picture it says, Dan, <laughs> comma, my friend. Oh, there you go. <clears throat> now, am I friend as in Facebook or friend as in real friend? Because Facebook friends aren't real friends, are they? Um, well, since I have no Facebook friends, I, <laughs> the answer is you're my friend. <laughs> so I was going to say, do you really have any friends if you're not on Facebook? But oh, the reality is. Um, you're on Twitter, and that's more hip. My dad is now on Facebook, and that is amazing. Of course, I had to log into my wife's account to learn that. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the funny part of it is you're probably not missing a whole lot other than a lot of weather photos from me from Prince Edward Island for the last week. Yeah, and you use the word miss as if I, I was wanted to see something like that. So, <laughs> That's right. so no, I'm not missing weather photos. <laughs> yes. Considering how depressing it is when I pull up my weather app and it says it's 14 degrees Celsius in Portland, Oregon, and it's currently below zero Celsius in Canada here. I think we've had 50 inches of snow. Yeah. There's a good reason why I do not live where you live. Actually, they said that I think the last time we've had this much snow on the island here is 41 years ago. So it's definitely been uh, an interesting year. So that was around the time you were born then. Yeah, actually, I guess it was. So multi-generations ago. Is it generation 25 years? Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm sure I could Google that and find out. But um, for the sake of the people listening right now, (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe it's time to transition into our featured guest this episode. Well, there you go. Well, and we have been teasing out for the last few weeks um, who we are talking to today, or who you talk to. Um, and you had the opportunity to talk with Gabriel Allred, who is a, a worship leader, professional worship leader. I believe he does it, you know, five, six, seven days a week as part of a school. I don't know if you want to explain more, Joe. Oh, sure. Yeah, Gabriel Allred is the worship director at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I was introduced to him uh, a couple of years ago when I was asked to interview him for All About Worship, if you're familiar with that podcast. And he and I spoke for an hour and a half, and then it took me several months to actually edit that interview because that's an hour and a half's a lot of time to talk, and it's far-reaching all over the place. So anyway, I'm, I uh, myself am getting distracted right now. But yes, uh, Gabe is a worship leader. Does it? Uh, he leads worship, I think, for eight services a week in his current position. And wow. um, he knows what the grind is like as a worship leader. He's also a, a talented artist, songwriter, singer, 
guitar player in his own right. And he's funny and he's fun to talk with. Yeah, yeah. And if you've been following our feed and listened to our Wise Words episodes, you'll you'll realize that there is a lot of topics that are far-reaching. Uh, but pretty much everything that you and, and Gabriel have talked about has been interesting and well worth it, which is why we wanted to get these mini episodes out. Because of the time, we had to, to edit this thing so it'll fit into a podcast and we didn't want to lose some of this good content. So, uh, and he's been, he's been, uh, uh, enjoying it, I think from his feed, uh, Twitter feed as we've been sharing these things. So it's been entertaining. Yeah. It appears that he's, uh, he's okay with it. I, we got his permission to do this in advance and, uh, he's, he's on board with it and we really appreciate that. He's a, he's a good sport and, mm -hmm. uh, a good guy. We, we, uh, we like him a lot. Well, without further ado, why don't we go right into the episode with Gabriel Allred and Joe Brookhouse. Happy Halloween. This is Joe Brookhouse for Frequency. Today we're catching up with my friend Gabriel Allred, the worship director of Christ for the Nations Institute, uh, also singer, songwriter, and a political junkie. I promise we will not talk politics today, uh, and maybe I'll explain why later. But uh, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's always good to talk to you, man. Okay, well, there's a uh, there's a lot I want to cover today, not the least of which is uh, your recent release, No Ordinary Love, and it's been, I think, maybe a couple of years since we last spoke, so we've got a, a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. Um, now, real quick, for folks who may be unfamiliar with CFNI, they may know, uh, they may be familiar with some of your alumni. Yeah. Carrie Job, Tommy Walker, some other folks that people might be aware of. Uh, you got Rick Pino and um, Kevin Jonas, the father of the Jonas Brothers, who's uh, he's part of our family. Really? And yeah. then Klaus, I think, is one? Yeah, Klaus. What's Klaus's last name? Klaus Kuhn. There you go. Yeah. I just hear Klaus, like Madonna. It's just Klaus. It's just Klaus. It's just, yeah, just a one name like uh, Prince or the artist formerly known as yes. Klaus. <laughs> Good. Maybe we can link to his website while we're doing it. The, the yeah. artist formerly known as Klaus. Who still is known as Klaus. Well, but he was known as that yesterday as well, correct? Yes. Formerly uh, and and as, continually. As yeah. far as we know, still. Yeah. So how are you, man? I'm good. I'm keeping busy. Busier than I like, but if I was any less busy, I would be uncomfortable, if that makes yeah, sense. I understand that. You must be busy because you've got, well, the album and then Resonate coming up. Yes. Um, yeah, that's all uh, next. Yeah, next. Yeah, this next week. Yes, I am busy. <laughs> I don't even know what day it is. It's been crazy, but it's good. Resonate's going to be fun. We're really trying to reformat it uh, because up here in Dallas, which is basically the mega church capital of the world. Yeah. There are lots of big creative arts and worship conferences all the time. Yeah. Just, uh, just a stone's throw away from where we are. And, um, you know, massive, you know, million plus dollar budgets, literally just to put on, uh, just to put on conferences and stuff. That's not us. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't do that. And, um, not that we're opposed to that, we just don't have it. So um, I'm rebranding it this year as a, a worship festival, and um, so we'll have some Renaissance people. Uh, yes, yes, um, we're all gonna like a worship worship Renaissance. So um, uh, they're all gonna dress in polyester, and um, it's gonna be very choral. Yeah, as in the the colors and the vocal types. Excellent. No, it's gonna be. Um, it's just going to be more community based. 
So instead of like having workshops uh, where people come in and take a lot of notes and get a lot of practical training, which is good, but again, that's what everyone else is offering. So what can, I'm trying to think, what can we offer that we don't really have around here? And that's, you know, like bringing in people like uh, this next week, of course, like Will Matthews and Stephanie Gretzinger and Ray Hughes and just put them in a room and just let them tell stories about their life. And, uh, you know, we'll all sit on the same level. We're not going to have them up on a stage. We'll just sit in a room like we're all just in a small group and we're just going to chat and tell stories and they can ask, people can ask questions and it's more relational then. Yeah. Way more relational. I just, I want them to be able to connect with the people that they admire, that they have respect for their ministry. They have respect for their anointing, you know, put them in the same room where they can say, well, you know, cause usually we, we, we go and, and you hear stories about people's lives and we're so used to in culture hearing everybody's um, highlight reels, basically, you know, yeah, the elevator pitch. Yeah. And, um, and those ultimately aren't the stories that, that, that we care about. No one really cares to hear a story about some, uh, minister or like some worship leader who says, well, I don't know. I just woke up one day and it just felt an anointing and seemed to be really good at guitar and I was good looking. So I just decided to become a worship leader and it's been great ever since. You know, no one appreciates stories like that. They want to hear stories that at some point you have to go, oh, and then what happened? Right. Like that sense of he's, he might not make it, but then he did or she did. And, you know, so basically tell us, you know, I want to sit down with Ray and, and some of these guys and ask questions like, tell me about a dark season of the soul, soul that shaped you. You know, what was the moment where you were you were probably ready to just give it all up and just run the other way? But you held on to God and kept going anyway. You know, that's real life stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's, that's going to shape people. I mean, if you read through the Bible, all of the Bible stories that we like to tell aren't the, there's not a happy one in there. <laughs> really? <laughs> not many. End happy, but it's always those that, you know, you know, the, the ones that we draw strength from were the ones that almost seemed hopeless at one point or another. Yeah. I want to, I want to celebrate hopelessness. That's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I think you're going to get a lot of people showing up. Just for that fact in and of itself. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, the uh, uh, conference theme will be Misery Loves Company. <laughs> Come. And it'll be you and five people you've paid to show up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's been it's been good around here. A lot of a lot of good stuff happening. You know, Dutch Sheets is now the director. Uh, he's an author. Uh, been around a long time. Powerhouse guy. Teaches about prayer and intercession and. Just all around great guy. I like him. So he's my boss now. And, uh, just been some good, really powerful moments with, with the students. You know, he's really teaching them. Really, the goal of CFNI since it's, it's, since, since its inception was to teach, um, to bring people in from all over the world and teach them how to encounter God on a, a real deep level. Also give them, Deep biblical training and all that stuff as well, but almost more importantly was teaching them this is what the Spirit of God feels like. This is how you enter. This is how you pray. This is how you press in until you break through. This is how you, you know, because we've, we have a culture, especially now, uh, it seems like more than ever, the church culture has gotten really good at uh, the theories about God and all that kind of stuff. But there's little, you know, I can have theories about my wife all day long, but until I actually encounter her, yeah, those theories are just that, theories. 
so yeah, he's he's really helping the students break through back into that whole mentality of just teaching them to wait on the Lord and and when when they do, they're learning the revelation comes hard and heavy. Yeah. And uh that solidifies everything that they learn in their classroom settings. You know, that's the stamp that says, Yeah, that's good. It's not just head knowledge. So it's been good here. I really enjoy it. Really enjoy what's happening. How long have you been there now? This is my eleventh semester, so five five and a half years. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep, you can do math in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I can on my fingers too, but you can't see that because it's out of camera. Yeah, that's um, tr- tricky how you did that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why reality TV has gotten so big in the last number of years because people just got sick of the, the lights and the makeup and the, you know, the veneer of it all. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with Ray Hughes? Why do I know that name? Tell you, me. If you don't, you should. You need, you need to be familiar with Ray Hughes. Um, do you know who Jeff Foxworthy is? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Basically the same person, except one is a spirit-filled God lover. Uh, Ray Hughes, um, uh, he's this uh, older, um, wise redneck with a handlebar mustache. And this guy knows more about worship, I tell you, than anyone I've ever heard of. So he's a Christian comedian? He's very funny, but he's not like on purpose a comedian he's he does uh he can play bluegrass guitar and all that kind of stuff but when he teaches about worship uh all the way from like a hebraic understanding of what worship is but he just sounds like jeff foxworthy when he talks yeah he says that the church is usually 20 years behind culturally stylistically because they'll reject they'll reject a new cultural thing for a decade and then they'll emulate it for another decade after that. Yeah, that sounds about right. And that bothers me. You know, I have uh, just recently, in regards to this most recent recording, I just wanted to take risks. I wanted to be different. I wanted to try to sound different. You know, I had an accordion on stage. Just stuff. Just new instruments. And then I had people come up to me afterwards and asking me, so were you just trying to be hipster? you just trying to be cool that you had an accordion on stage? Why even use an accordion? I'm like, what's wrong with having an accordion? Like, well, it's just trying to be cool. I was like, be cool? The accordion has been in existence since longer than America. You know, how is that cool? I'm just, you know, I'm I'm just trying to, because I got to this place and my own creativity before the Lord where I felt like it didn't cost me anything anymore. It didn't cost me any thought process. I could just... You could show up and go on automatic. Yeah, I could just, you know, just play guitar and just whatever comes out, it's just going to sound the same. And I hated it. Yeah. Really started to hate it. It, it, it insulted me 
for the Lord. So I wanted to take risks. I wanted to try some new things. You know, it's not like by no means do I believe that anything that we recorded, it was the first time that earth had ever heard anything like that. Yeah. By no means. But for, for us, it was, it was different. And that's what, that's what I wanted to do. And, um, I was listening to, uh, just recently, I was listening to some worship that back in the early 90s, I think it was from like 93, from worship leaders that have a lot of admiration for, but just listened to them, I was like, man, these are some great songs. But as I was listening to it, I was like, this music sounds familiar. And again, it was from 1993. Yeah. It sounded like what you think worship music from 1993 should sound like. And as I was listening to it, this, one of the songs came on, and the chord progressions that they were using, the harmonies and everything that they were using sounded really familiar. So I, when I was listening to it on Spotify, so I immediately pulled up another artist that I thought, this sounds exactly like this other artist, and it was The Carpenters. Wow. And it was, it was a, a worship recording from 1993, sounded exactly like what pop culture was doing in 1973 with The Carpenters. Right. And I was like, once again, Ray Hughes was right. Yeah. Church will reject. It's like we, we, we denounce a cultural stylistic something or other until, until we think that the culture's done with it or until we've gotten so accustomed to it. Now we think it's appropriate. Yeah. And then we adopt it. You know, it's like we're always taking the world's, uh, the culture's hand me downs. Uh, another thing Ray Hughes was saying, cause I called him up whenever I was getting, I was getting flack over this last recording. Like the, the, the song Holy that's on that recording. Yeah. Uh, that Jessica sang. Uh, that one got a lot. People just, it's, it's too dark. It's depressing. I don't like it. And he said, at some point, he said, if the church is ever going to be more creative than the world, like if this is the world and here's where the church is and its creativity, if the church is ever going to be here, at some point, they're going to be right here. Yeah. So at some point, it's going to sound similar. It may look similar, but there's going to be a content that the world will never have. You know, it's like, how did Jesus say that the world would recognize us over them? They'll know you, they'll know you by your love. You know, you look, you look the same on every other level, but they'll know that you're different because of how you love. Like the church doesn't get that when it comes to the hearts at all. It's like, no, we're, we're supposed to, we're supposed to look like, Chambery skirts and Ked's tennis shoes and, you know, hair in a bun or something. Look this way, sound this way, use the following words in the following order, and then we, we can accept you. And uh, so you caught flack for kind of uh, addressing some of these areas of darkness. Yeah, that song holy is from uh, uh, Psalm 29. The girl that wrote it is actually from um, South Carolina, Virginia. The piano is uh, everything that she wrote and how she arranged it. She's an amazing piano player as well. We didn't really change. We just kind of added a full band to it and kind of tweaked things here and there. But um, one of the scriptures that's fascinated me for the last few years has been Exodus 33. Moses going up to the mountain, going up the mountain to see God. But before before that uh, that particular episode where he actually goes up, God has already talked to Moses and he's saying, okay, get the people ready because in three days, you know, go ahead and sanctify them and get them all cleaned up and because in three days I'm going to come down and I'm going to see them. Well, the people are ready and they're standing waiting for God and then all of a sudden these thunderings and lightnings begin to happen and earthquakes and stuff on the mountaintop and uh, the people freak out. And uh, that's at that moment, um, 
is when they chose, as Bill Johnson puts it, like that, it was at that moment where they chose distance for safety instead of nearness for intimacy. Ah, yeah. And because um, God didn't want just one man, He didn't want just for it to be Moses to come near to Him. He wanted all of Israel to be appointed as as priests to come near to Him. But it was at that moment where they said, nope, you tell us whatever he says, we'll do it if it comes from you, but um, don't let him talk to us or we'll die. Apparently, you don't have an issue with him, but we do. Moses tries to encourage him, but they won't have it. And then this really telling verse, he says, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew into the darkness where God was. And um, I looked up the word darkness and what it actually was in Hebrew, and that word literally translates gloom. Wow. And that doesn't that doesn't jive with our pop culture Christianity at all. We want it to be roses and sunshine all the time. But the mystery of God is is vast it's you know we don't know what's we don't know what's in there you know when when moses stepped into the cloud where god was he he probably thought you know i could turn into a crispy critter right here yeah but i trust him and i think that this is <clears throat> uh there's a, a a part of uh line which in the wardrobe c.s lewis uh, a quote uh from mr beaver to uh lucy that just sums it up so well uh and lucy is asking uh uh, Mr. Beaver about Aslan and asks, is he safe? Is Aslan safe? Yeah. And Mr. Beaver says, no, he's not safe, but he's good. Going into this, um, this recording, and I was taught, I've been talking to the, to the worship teams about it, how important it is for us to learn about the presence of God and learn to create a soundtrack for his presence when he's moving and how he's moving. Uh, when we're singing about the holiness of God, the mystery, the majesty of God, especially for this particular song, uh, in, that's Psalm 29, holy, your voice, O Lord, is power, and uh, the God of wonder, the God of power, thunders, and, and his glory is everywhere, and it, you know, it shakes the trees, and it fills the heavens, and and the the music that I chose, that we chose for that, basically just in line with uh with Callie, the girl who wrote it, was uh, was darker, not to be depressing, not to be gloomy, as much as to be mysterious and sober and awe. Yeah. And when I talk to the students about, you just take that verse of, so Israel stood afar off, but Moses drew into the thick darkness where God was, or the thick gloom where God was. You come up with a chord progression. You come up with a soundtrack. Write a score for that moment in Scripture and try to fill it with flutes and piccolos and bright cymbals and happy trotting piano lines, and it's yeah. not fit. It's going to feel like a contradiction. So it's so important for us as worship leaders to capture in melody and in song, what God is doing in the heavens above us. I, I tell them all the time, it's like we're, we're the orchestra pit for heaven. And the spiritual realm is playing out on the stage above us. And God is moving in the earth and, and stirring the hearts of men and interacting with, with uh, kings and tearing down strongholds. And we're his orchestra pit. We're the ones that are supposed to be writing music that properly depicts what he's doing and how often have has god been moving in the in the church at large in a certain way 
and we've we've presented music that left people like on a Sunday or whatever else or just at large just miscommunicated to the body of Christ what he was actually doing so they're confused because in the spiritual realm they feel this but in their ears they're hearing this and it just the, the two the two things don't really line up well going back to your just a few minutes ago we were talking about being 20 years behind culture i think part of what we have to do is is work independently of popular culture and then just be as you're saying be responsive to the way god is moving and so if the way God is moving happens to be in line with what culture is currently doing, we embrace that. Uh, if the way God is moving has nothing to do with what culture is doing, if, if it is countercultural, yeah. then we should uh, be obedient to that, not be not be chasing or rejecting, just mm-hmm. independent of it. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, with the accordion, that's really where you were going. Yeah, I was just, I was just trying things, you know, just... Yeah. You know, it's not, I, I never want to try to copy the world. It's not about trying to copy the world. You're exactly right. It's independent of. If we are, if we are children of the creator, the God, the creator, then we need to tap into that. We're not children of the copier or children of the creator. Yeah. But that's going to require risk. And we don't like risk. We like safety. We like proving. fun songs i think you got it it's, i think it's called uh, good to me it's kind of the antithesis of holy as far as uh, thematically and that, that title should be good to me and then exodus 33 that's, that's right. uh it's not something that is um uh trying to write a soundtrack to exodus 33 as much as it is kind of honing in on on one one bit of lyric i was talking to a worship leader one day, again, I'd been chewing on Exodus, uh, most of Exodus, but especially up until 33, this whole encounter with God. And I had always kind of looked at uh, that encounter with God as being a little bit anticlimactic. He's like, show me, show me your face. God says, I can't show you my face. However, um, I'll let my goodness pass before you. And I was always kind of like, lame. <laughs> Anticlimactic. I want to see, you know, pyrotechnics and, you know, the universe explodes and thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very. Yeah, totally. Just, you know, you know, all the special effects that that you could think of. And um, anyway, we had just always kind of processed it like that. And then one day um, I was talking to a worship leader friend of mine and um um, I knew her heart. I knew what she was saying. I knew what she was, what, what her heart was trying to say, but her words totally just shook me. She said, I don't like to sing about God's goodness. I like to sing about deeper things. And all of a sudden my brain went back to Exodus 33 and that 
whole encounter, this thing that I thought was anticlimactic. Like, it was like I was seeing Moses interviewing, interviewing the creator of the universe, and he says, Creator God, there are a lot of people down there that pee pants every time they see you move on the mountain. Um, if you had, if you could summarize yourself with one word to, to describe yourself to these people down there, what would it be? And God, out of all of his attributes, out of all of his infinite ways, his justice, his mercy, his kindness, his wrath, his power, his wisdom, all of these things, he chooses goodness to be the thing that define him. Yeah. And so I was like, man, if, if we don't think that God's goodness is deep, we don't get it. It's not that his goodness is, lacks depth. It's that our understanding of it lacks depth. Yeah. Well said. And that just, it's just, and I'm, I still chew on that. God, you're good. So whenever I think about all of these other, and this is the Old Testament God, by the way. This yeah. is the one that we typically put God in two different personalities. The Old Testament one has a short temper and a short fuse, and then Jesus loves. So this is the Old Testament one where he says, I'm good. When I think about his holiness, his, his or wrath, or justice, his mercy, all of those things, any, anything that I could possibly think of, it has to be preceded by the word good, his good wrath, his good mercy. His good holiness, his good, because he's good. That's that's what he is at his core first. Now he is holy, yes, but that that's that's almost different because holy basically just means I'm, it's other. It's it's unlike. It's so different. My goodness is so unlike anything that you could think of, which is why we don't like to sing about it. Right. Because you know, like, uh, I like to bring this up often when I when I speak places and I ask, how many English? Do we have any English teachers in the house? And there's always at least one. And I say now. Is this correct? It's wrong to say when people say, hey, how are you to say I'm good? That's grammatically incorrect. You're not good. You can do good, but you are not good. And even Jesus picked up on that when the, when the rich young ruler asked him, um, good teacher. And Jesus says, only God is good. In other words, you're calling me God. If you're saying that I'm good, you're admitting that I'm God. Yeah, because only he is good. I think that's a great way to look at the, if, if you look at, um, the source of, you know, the impetus behind God's movements throughout the Bible, if you continue to reflect back to it is based out of his goodness, that his motivations are always good, the results may be devastating to people. Yeah. But, but the motivation, the intention, and really the ultimate result is good. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of us struggle between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Old Testament. I mean, these are these are evil, messed up people hurting each other and God mm -hmm. trying to. All right, kids, everybody get under control. Don't make yep. me come back there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I will. I will turn this car around right now. Name a song that you sung on there that you particularly like your voice on. I couldn't think of one myself. Yeah, well, neither can I. <laughs> we had a guest artist who sang "Lose Myself in Your Love." Yeah, he's a he's a second year student now. Um, his name is uh, Patrick Curry, 
and he wrote that song and he's just a he's a great worship leader songwriter and he's i think he just turned 19 wow you know his it, voice does not sound 19 no he's just he's scary i hate him <laughs> actually he's he's i just love that kid to death i tell you he's um if i had half of what he's got when I was his age, you know, I'd be dangerous now. But um, yeah, he sang he sang that 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 first song, and um, just a, just an amazing heart. You know, it's it's hard to find. Well, it's rare that you 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 find such skill at that age. And if you do find skill at that age, you find an attitude that matches it. Usually, you know, they're pretty cocky and full of themselves to some degree because at that point in their life everything has come for free and they haven't had to work for anything right and he contradicts all of that he's just this mild-mannered meek he wants to serve he's just you know i'm i wonder sometimes if he's even human he just loves god he just wants to see god's presence move and have freedom and he doesn't want to get in the way so i'm real grateful for him said uh, you've been thinking a lot lately about the importance of the consistency of sincerity regarding yeah. the heart of ministers before God and man. Yes. And that's a, that's a, there's there's a lot of words in that sentence. So um, yeah. tell me what you're thinking about there. Well, I was talking to um, a new friend of mine. Actually, uh, she's a, a friend of my wife and I. She's from Australia, a worship leader from Australia. And she was asking us questions about Christ for the Nations and how long I've been here and and at one point she asked a question I don't think I've been asked before. She asked, um, what is the hardest thing about your position there at CFNI? And I thought about it a minute, and that's those are the words that came out. I said, I think the hardest thing to learn has been, or the most challenging thing per se, I guess, was um, uh, the consist- having a consistency of sincerity. Because, you know, we have uh, worship times almost every day. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then yeah. Tuesday nights, and then some Friday nights, and then that doesn't even include Sundays and normal church stuff. So the challenge has been, um, regardless of whatever personal season I'm in, stepping out on that platform and putting a guitar on and choosing to just to not merely sing songs, but engage engage the Lord, engage my spirit, man, turn it on, force it to turn it on, make the decision. Just like David always said, praise the Lord, oh my soul, get in line. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God and um, stand there honestly before the Lord with sincerity of heart and give him everything I've got every single time, not just when I feel like it. Yeah. And um, that's probably been, uh, maybe I shouldn't even use the word most challenging, but I would say it's probably one of the most important things I've learned is to never allow myself to fake it. How, how do you not do that? Uh, and, and I say that because uh, I know that you're leading worship like eight times a week or something along those lines, if I remember correctly. It's something like that. It depends yeah. on the week, but yeah. And, you know, for me, one or two times a week is about the extent of it, but... I drag with me a lot of times 
the stress of life, the um, disengagement that comes from the distractions of life. I know personally that there are times when I get in front of the congregation and I I'm like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not present. I need to be present. And it's a, so I can't even imagine do, you know, if I'm doing that seven, eight times a week. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I mean, you have a ritual or something that you're going, and I hate to use the word ritual, but I mean. No, no, that, that's a good question. It's like, you know, well, there's ultimately there's a process that I have to go through to some degree. And, and it kind of reminds me of, and I don't remember where the story is exactly in the Bible, but it's about David. He's already got his mighty men. And uh, they had just gone and stormed a castle and came back victorious. And when they came back home, all of the children had been kidnapped. All of their wives had been kidnapped. Everything was set on fire and destroyed or stolen. And now David's mighty men, who he had raised up and rescued and turned into mighty men, want to kill him. And um, Scripture just simply says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord say what he did it just says that he strengthened himself in the lord it's one of those times where you wish they would have been specific so that you could kind of you know because we as humans we would we would we would like to be able to turn it into a science and just go through you know the ritual and just do it yeah but it doesn't of course it leaves it ambiguous so we have to we have to hunt that out ourselves and, and figure it out so um there was one particular morning I was on my way to work and, um, you know, the day before I got a letter from the IRS and bills were due and, you know, we had sicknesses and stuff with, you know, hospital bills. Just, it was all just, it was just coming down, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to leave the house that morning and the garage door shuts on the car as I'm pulling out and, you know, all that cute fun stuff. Yeah. And, um, so I'm, Driving down the road, getting about to get on the highway to head towards Christ for Nations, and you know it's like six thirty in the morning, and I'm tired, and I don't feel good, and money, and the car, and the stupid, and the and I'm bemoaning all these things, and thinking about all these griefs that I have that are legitimate. They're legitimate soul pains, you know. It's not like I just don't like today, right? So legitimate things to be depressed about. <laughs> yeah. And um, I got about a mile and a half down the road, and then I pictured a, I pictured a scale, like one of those um, uh, that you'd put weights in both sides, and you uh, just a regular scale. Yeah. And, um, I saw in one scale all of my griefs, all of my complaints, all of my angst, and in the other scale I saw the infinite glory of God, and um, at least what I pictured it to be in that particular image, and. Um, um, the choice was, and they were both sitting at 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 a level with each other. And the the focus and intent of my heart could give one more weight than the other, even though I was comparing my grief against God's infinite glory. I could choose to give my grief more weight than His glory, and um, and it kind of shocked me. So I think I, I just told the Lord out loud. I refuse to allow my grief to outweigh the glory of your name and uh, just kind of calibrated my heart. And that's even become verbiage that I've used with the student body when I get in there. And sometimes you can just feel in the atmosphere that more people than usual seem to have carried angst with them today. Yeah. So before we even get started, I'll say, okay, 
God is good. Everybody just stop and recalibrate your heart to his goodness. Just do that first. Don't get led off into some uh, wrong direction, you know, because the stuff of life happens and can um, can mess up the compass of our soul. And, you know, what what was true north yesterday is not true north today. And if you keep moving in that direction over a period of time, you're going to be way off course. So just stop right now. Stop moving. Stop processing. Recalibrate your soul to his goodness. Recalibrate your hearts. He is your true north. Once you've done that, then start moving again. Uh, there's there's one song. I don't know if I, if, it, if, if I sent it to you or not. It's called For the Glory. And it's just me and a guitar. And, um, and I kind of shared a little bit of that story, actually, um, before we recorded this song. I just told him the story. I said, this song is a song. It's really bits and pieces of songs that I've sung to myself or, or to the Lord in my car on the way to work. And it, were, it was, um, you know, it's called For the Glory, but I've also kind of lovingly called, uh, coined it as uh, the calibration song. Nice. And it's just um, it's a little personal offering that I would give to the Lord as uh, you are God, you are good, and you're worthy of all praise. And regardless of what I feel like today, that praise shouldn't stop. And it's my choice whether it does or not. For the glory of your name I will Lift to you my worship. I will lift to you my praise. I will lift to you my worship. I will lift to you my Joe, thank you so much, man. I really did enjoy it. Me too. And uh, ne- next time I have three hours, let's do this again, right? Happy Halloween. Happy See Halloween. You. Great costume, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. You too. <laughs> All right. God bless, man. Take it easy. See you. Bye. Bye. Excellent. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I had a great time talking with Gabe. Anything you took away from uh, from that interview, or have you even listened to it? <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, I have listened to portions of it, but even if I only took away the snippets that were on the cutting room floor, uh, there was enough wise words, um, and just just I love the way he just shares openly, you know, what's going on uh, with with what he's involved in, his perspectives on on leadership and ministry, uh, the music industry. Um, he's definitely uh, keeping up with things, and he's he's not sharing anything that we don't already know. But a lot of people just don't pay that close attention to it. the The thing that was close to my heart when he, when he was talking about um, digital music and mm. how we consume music and how the government hasn't even caught up with what to do with it all because artists just aren't making any money. It's well, it's almost criminal. I'm sure that there's more than a few people. You can you can follow folks on Twitter who are artists, recording artists and see that this is a um a, a common thing they're discussing. We could have a panel on here and we could talk about this ad nauseum and you're just not going to find many people who are going to come down on the other side mm-hmm. of that conversation. I mean, artists 
they're already starving. So, hey, why not starve them a little more? What the heck, right? Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and it's it's when you don't see them, you don't think about it, right? Like if you if you saw on somebody's computer a whole uh, file folder full of a thousand free songs, and you had a flash drive, you know, would you say, "Hey, can I copy those?" Or say, "Sorry, I got to pay a thousand bucks to download them all on iTunes." Like, how many people are going to say, "I'd rather do that"? Yeah, the convenience has stripped away a lot of integrity from folks, and I can it, wholly admit that. In the past, I have been part of the problem on that. Mm -hmm. I, I discovered somebody's music I really liked, and all of a sudden, because this is when Napster was around, I was downloading every song I could find off of Napster. Yeah. And then I met this particular artist that I'm talking about, and he became a friend, and I realized this guy can barely pay his bills. You hear Gabe talk about buying him a Whataburger, and we got a laugh out of that, but the fact of the matter is is that you may feel like that that 10 bucks you are paying is... You know, you being generous, but at the end of the day, how many times do you spend 10 bucks to go run over to McDonald's and grab your family a quick bite to eat? I mean, you don't even think about it, and it's it's not that significant. Show some integrity. Bum, bum, bum. Soapbox yeah. moments. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, even in the radio realm, I know from the little bit of experience I've had working with radio, um, the only reason some Canadian artists, for example, even get albums listened to or purchased is because there's a Canadian content rule that radio stations have to play. I forget what the magic number is. Let's say it's 25% of their content has to be Canadian content to keep their license. So the only reason why some artists locally would ever even get on the radio is because they have to. So, and unfortunately that breeds a lot of bad music and I've heard a lot of bad Canadian artists. I've also heard a lot of good good Canadian artists that unfortunately have to go down to the U.S. to get a market. And yeah. they have to be produced by U.S. producers because there's not enough in Canada. So there's a struggle not just in the music realm, but in the Canadian music realm, it's even worse. Because uh, I've been to some of the Gospel Music, music Association things, um, watched the Junos in Canada, and the caliber level's just not there. I mean, there are some really good things coming out of Canada, but most of the bands that you would know that are from here, like Rush or Blue Rodeo yeah. or Bare Naked Ladies, these guys, ooh, I just quoted, quoted a whole bunch of secular bands on a Christian podcast. Awesome. Fail, fail. <laughs> but the reality is they're, they're either not Christian or they're being produced and marketed via the U.S. Yeah. And it's just an interesting, you know, take on things. Um, I know artists that went down to Nashville to get produced and come back to Canada and try to promote it. But the only way they ever get concerts is if they go to the U.S. Because yeah. Canadians, like churches, for example, they don't want to pay somebody to come in. You know, you should want to come play. You know, like the whole mentality is kind of backwards. So, I mean, I'm on my soapbox now, but, yeah, you know. I realize in the small moment in time when I was an artist, you know, independent artist, I realized that, you know, you have to use social media and hunt people and market yourself and drive people crazy and do Kickstarter campaigns and people are tired, getting tired of all that. And then what do they do? I suppose that uh, that bit did resonate with you some from that interview. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Excellent. Well, I, I, I know that uh, just 
you know, backstory here. I don't think I explained it uh, in any previous discussion we've had. But when I sat down to chat with Gabriel, we just started talking as two people who know each other and like to talk. Mm-hmm. And then about 40 minutes in, there was a, we need to start the interview. And by the time we actually got around to, we should start the interview, I realized there was only 10 minutes left before I had a meeting. So the discussion was, this is going to be a nightmare to edit. And he laughs because he thinks that's hilarious, <laughs> uh, which is why it's from Halloween, Gabe, from yes. Halloween, dude. <laughs> right? Yes. But then it's like, okay, I'm going to take this conversation we just had and I'm going to chop that up and I'm going to make it the interview. And yeah. we recorded an intro and an end at the, at the very end of the thing. So if it feels <laughs> a little strangely structured, it's Gabe's fault. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I do remember one other thing, my favorite thing from it was the desk. Oh, uh, Jessica? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, and Jessica, um, thank you, because I know that you're out there on Twitter, and I've seen you share some things uh, about the wise words. So thank yes. you. We appreciate you. And we're glad that you are featured in the interview today. And <laughs> Exactly. That having been said, we've, uh, we've bantered for uh, now about 12 minutes for an interview that's three minutes long. No, that's not true. <laughs> well, we haven't talked in a while, so this is our catch-up. But we do have to wrap up this podcast. So, uh, Joe, thank you once again for sharing this conversation. I, I hope that it was beneficial to our listeners, and it was definitely beneficial for me uh, to be able to listen in on the conversation because I wasn't there at the time. Uh, but thanks again, Joe. And how can people contact us? How can they get a hold of us? That's a good question. Well, let me see. We're on Twitter. You've heard us mention that before. Our handle is at Frequency FM. And we're also on Facebook. If you type in Frequency FM, it will we'll pop up there. But just look for our logo. You'll see the black and white. Uh, what is that thing? A sound wave. Yeah. Oh. We're also on Geeky Google+. Plus. Now, what is Geeky Google Plus versus Google Plus. <laughs> That's just how I recognize Google oh. Plus. I, I, I use Google Plus as a tool, but not as a social media tool. I, I use think it. people who use Google Plus are tools. <laughs> oh, no, nice. no, because I'm, I'm on Google Plus. It's like my between Twitter and Google Plus. That's it for me. Yeah. All oh, right. yes, you're not on Facebook. I almost forgot that. And yes, we use that just basically to keep track of ourselves for no other reason. Yeah, it's just for us. Okay. Yeah. This having been said, we will be uh, back shortly with another episode featuring Jared Haychik, if I hope I pronounced it right this time, from Compliments of Gus, a, uh, a Christian rock band out of Australia. Actually, they're just a really good rock band who happened to sing about their faith. Mm-hmm. And great conversation with uh, him coming up in our next episode. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Joe, and bye for now. 